Welcome in to the Who Day Den, episode number 69. I'm your host, Taylor, and I usually don't start off episodes with a reminder to check out previous episodes. Typically, I'll, I'll save that for the end. But if you missed the Paul Daner Jr. episode, which was episode 68, go check that one out. It was the last one we did before this one. It was a really good time. Uh, Paul was super engaging, provided some really good insights into things he's looking for as we head into training camp season here. And it's going to be two weeks, three weeks of overreactions. And it's already started with the pup list that was announced by the Bengals and some of those players that are on that. Somewhat surprising, maybe. Alex Capo being one of them. Lyle Collins also on the non-football injury, I think, list or whatever it is. So there'll be overreactions. We'll see how much of that matters as we kind of get into things as the practices kick off. But anyways, that episode with Paul was awesome. You do not want to miss that. Now, the recording you're getting ready to listen to with another uh, giant guest. I was super excited to have this guy on. Uh, We recorded this on Friday, and you're probably listening to it on a Monday or Tuesday or whatever. Um, So as of recording, we didn't yet have the, the pup list guys to talk about in detail. Also, while we were recording, the new helmet officially dropped so we talked about that for for just a little bit but uh, as of recording we were simply kind of just counting down the days to training camp talking about again some of the things to look for it's kind of similar to the episode we had with Paul uh, but if you recall uh, we focused primarily on the offensive side of the ball with Paul Daner Jr. and with uh, this next guest it was predominantly the defensive side of the ball and uh, a lot of things to to talk through that as well. Rookies reported for training camp on Sunday the 24th, and so that's kind of the the first big wave of players to arrive, and really the, I think the vets are due on Tuesday, but really the the big thing to look forward to for fans, at least from a fan perspective, is the back-together Saturday at Paul Brown Stadium. Gates open at 1 p.m., practice at 2.15 on Saturday the 30th. I will be be there my next episode will likely be early the next week something like august 1st or something so i can talk a little bit about what i observed at practice what beat writers are saying through the first week or so of practice get you up to date on the way too early observations there but without further delay let's get into today's episode and our guest which features another beat writer have a listen welcome in to the den mr ben baby from espn Ben, how has the offseason been treating you so far? Uh, good. I feel like I've barely been here, to be quite honest. I think uh, the second OTAs ended, we immediately packed up the car, my wife and I, in the in the pets, and we, we traveled back home to Texas. We've been to Chicago a couple times. We just got back from Miami. Uh, so we have been out and about uh, in, in the wonderful summer of 2022 uh, doing what we really couldn't do in 2020 and 2021. So uh, definitely making up for lost time, but we're, I'm excited. I'm ready to get back to work and uh, it should be a very interesting uh, Bengals season, to say the least. I think there's a lot of like fun storylines that eventually will will play themselves out as we start the as we start training camp and get into the regular season. That was a that was a perfect answer because you answered the follow up question, which I was curious as to whether when you have like such a short amount of time in between OTAs and training camp and before like the grind starts of the season, is it okay? I want to just relax and just kind of like sit around or is it, I need to go travel, need to go see some things, need to visit some people. So it sounds like you chose the latter. I was confused, former ladder. You chose the second one yes, <laughs> and yeah, you was, uh, traveled around a little. 
Yeah, that would be the latter. Yeah, no, I had to get out. I, I also like needed to go to warm places because I, I, the memes are true. Like it gets a little cold and I'm just like, I need to thaw out in the summer. So it's also good. I think when you're, when you're going full speed for so many months of the year, you really can't do that uh, 12 months. And so it's good to kind of take us, you know, take some time back. And, you know, they, they ask us to take our vacation. They want us to make sure that we're refreshed. And I think it's really important, especially for riders, because otherwise you get so burned out, especially when you have a season that went as long as the Bengals season. Uh, you know, I don't think anybody expected to work an extra six weeks and cover a, a Super Bowl run. So, and, and that was pretty intense to, to cover on a day in day out basis. So whenever the off season finally got here and we OTAs finally ended, uh, it was a very welcome sign to, to take up and, and get out and, and use all those Marriott points I was saving up. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And there was a, another, another bond that I think we share that you might not realize is if I'm not mistaken in, um, you know, uh, perceiving your previous tweets, I believe we are both haters of July 4th fireworks in neighborhoods. Um, yes, that's correct. I believe you've tweeted about it before and a man after my own heart because I am a grouchy old man when it comes to that in my neighborhood. So, uh, you know, we share a bond there. You may not realize it, but it's funny because we now, uh, so we go to a church, uh, Grace and Truth, Cincinnati, uh, up and I, I believe we're going to we actually we're about to start going at, at a place in Norwood. We're going to the building's moving to Norwood. Uh, and we actually do, I guess we hosted our July 4th party, I guess, at our house and then found like uh, there's a guy who stockpiles a ton of fireworks and we found like an empty field and set off fireworks for about 15, 20 minutes. And I was like, oh, this is a little unsettling, but you know, I think this is, it fits in fine. Actually, you had a lot of like locals come out and kind of check it out. It was nice, but like, Otherwise, throughout the year, like July 4th is the one day I will tolerate the neighborhood fireworks. It's fine. But like we don't need that on, on July 2nd, July 3rd, May 25th, like August 4th, like just random days in the year. Like that's just completely unnecessary. So like, let's keep it to one day and then let's let's let it be. Yeah, I think uh, I'm in the same boat as far as I try to have a little bit of uh, understanding and grace with the July 4th fireworks. It is a little um, upsetting with, you know, little kids that are trying to sleep and they wake up and they're like, what's that noise? Is it thunder? All that stuff. Um, but anyways, uh, July 1st, like you said, July 2nd, uh, especially this year, July 4th was on a Sunday. Is that right? I think so. I think, uh, there's, something I, I like think, that. I think it was on a Monday, actually. Monday. Yeah. There was shooting going off on a, on a night that I knew I had work the next morning. And I'm like, man, I just really wish this would <laughs> like if you could chill it at 10 o'clock, that's kind of my uh cut off for you but which i feel like is a reasonable ask to not have people shoot fireworks off past 10 o'clock i feel like that's not a lot to ask of folks sorry i got pauses for a second my wife just texted me and said emergency she just called me three times no you're good just a second now back to your regularly scheduled program i don't even remember what we're talking we're talking about something about fireworks i'll, I'll edit it all out i'll figure it out all right i can't do it We'll do it live. Okay. We'll, no. we'll do it live! Speaking of fireworks, maybe that's a lame segue, but today we're going to mainly focus on defense. Uh, I think there's recent news, though, around the Bengals selling the stadium naming rights that I kind of want to talk about. Um, we've got Kyler Murray getting a big deal, which potentially has impact on a Joe Burrow extension. And I want to focus on that first is Murray got five for 230, $160 million guaranteed. When do you think the Burrow extension happens? And then just in a ballpark, what do you think they're looking at as far as guaranteed money, extension per year? Uh, what range do you think they're looking at realistically for a guy like Burrow? 
Yeah, you know, that's going to be really interesting. And I think we'll get a little more information about that. Uh, hopefully, whenever we speak to the Brown family in the front office before training camp starts, they, I think they might shed a little more insight into that. I, I think that, you know, obviously Burrow isn't eligible. Nobody in the 2020 class is eligible for a contract extension off their rookie deal until the end of their third season. So I imagine that's going to be priority number one. You're going to need to know how much that's going to cost. We know historically the Bengals are not shy about paying their quarterbacks, and that's something that they have appreciated over time. Uh, we saw that especially in the modern era when they gave Carson Palmer his deal, uh, which made him, I believe, the, the uh, richest quarterback in the league at the time, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and, and I think Burrow will command a, a very high salary. I mean, you look at it historically, um, since he's been here, they've basically done everything possible to cater the franchise to him. Uh, everything they've done has been to make sure that Burrow is in a position to succeed. So I would imagine, you know, they, in different ways, they've shown how much they value him in that way. And I think financially, I would expect them to do the same thing as well. The interesting thing is going to be how this guaranteed money is laid out. I imagine it's going to be a good amount, uh, especially when you look at how the Bengals like to structure their cash flow. Uh, they like to prorate their signing bonuses at the beginning of the deals and then kind of leave more room on the back end. Uh, but with Burrow, with the guy you know is going to be a long-term piece, maybe it'll be a little bit different. Maybe they structure the contract a little bit differently and maybe add some of those years on at the end because uh, you know that's a guy that you're going to be here for a while. You're not going to cut him after the, you know, you don't want to leave. Basically, you don't, you're not signing a four-year deal and then it only being a three-year deal with a lot of dead money. On the fourth year, you're hoping this guy's going to be here for a long time. So that may affect... The, uh, you know, that may affect how this contract is structured compared to other ones that they've done. The interesting thing for me is, will they give Burrow guaranteed money in year two? And I think that's going to be a, a question a lot of agents are looking at as well, because the Bengals are notoriously a team that does not give players guaranteed money past the second year. The cash flow generally is pretty good, but they will not give uh, guaranteed money. It's something that they have just principally not done. And, you know, I had I had one agent tell me as he's been watching a lot of things uh, this offseason and the last couple off seasons that maybe Burrow is the guy to break that mold. And, you know, he's the one who's going to get guaranteed money in year two. And I think that's going to be really fascinating to watch. But from the financial standpoint, I imagine he's going to get a healthy amount of money. I would expect him to be paid like he's one of the top quarterbacks in the league, and especially if he has another season like he did towards the end of the last year, because I don't think Burrow gets enough credit for how well he played. Uh, toward the end of the regular season and then into the postseason. Yeah, I, I, I'm my bold prediction for the year is an, an MVP season for Burrow, and I think at worst, even realistically, if you're not a Bengals fan, you, you would expect Burrow to be in the top three, top five conversation for MVP. And then coming, that's a good time to be coming up for a contract. Um, and then especially as all these other deals around you get done with these other quarterbacks, be interesting kind of with Lamar Jackson, um, how that plays out, whether that gets done sooner rather than later and how that might impact Burrow because they are very different quarterbacks but you know Jackson's got the MVP under his belt and that's a whole situation separately to monitor but you know speaking of contracts another situation we've talked about uh in Bengals land ad nauseum really is Jesse Bates but I do want to spend a couple minutes here with you because I want to get your thoughts on I, I was thinking about this the other day do you think that the Bengals anticipated it getting to this point a year or more than a year ago when they didn't hammer out a deal when they first could have, did they, do you think they anticipated, Hey, we might lose him down the road. Uh, this might not get done. Or do you think this kind of came out of nowhere as far as the playing hardball and, and his agent? Uh, so Jesse switched representation. I want to say after the 2019 season going into the 2020 season, 
so he was represented by Chris Coy, who also represents James Bradbury, got him and, and Bradbury got a massive deal uh, with the Giants, I believe one of the top deals for a cornerback at the time. Um, so I, but Jesse made the switch to David Mulligetta, who's, who is one of the more well-known uh, agents in the NFL. And that immediately signaled that Jesse was going to be looking for, you know, a pretty big deal whenever it was his time. And it, it made sense because it was age kind of where he was at. He has the ability to navigate and get multiple big contracts before he turns 30, uh, which is huge. And, and I've, you know, I've watched Jesse return a punt for a touchdown in the Belk Bowl back in 2017. I know that he can, you know, he's a really athletic guy and, and that's why he's been so good uh, for the Bengals. And, and he, you know, he's got a great work ethic. I think that's everything you want in a player. And, and, you know, Zach Taylor and the coaching staff has echoed that, I think, the entire time Jesse's been here. Uh, now, whether the franchise thought it was going to play out the way it did, I don't necessarily, that's a good question. I, I know for, I can say it on pretty good authority that I expected him to get the franchise tag uh, well before last year even started. You know, I mm-hmm. talked to somebody in the front office and it sounded like the franchise tag was an inevitability. And that's well before he did not play well at the start of the regular season. And in fact, I would argue that's probably why he didn't play well at the start of the regular season. If you look, if you talk to him, um, if you listen to what he said, you can tell that, you know, the fact that the franchise didn't back him to an extent, uh, it was a little disconcerting for him. And that took him a little while to to kind of get over. And, and as he got through the year, then he got into a better mental health space and mental headspace. And he started to play a lot more than what we're used to seeing out of Jesse. And then especially in the postseason, he balled out. I thought that he's he had two plays that essentially don't put the Bengals in a position to win the Super Bowl without them. You talk about uh, the pass deflection over the top in the AFC championship game that caused the interception that allowed the Bengals to beat Kansas city in overtime. And then you have the play at the end of the first half where he goes and intercepts Matthew Stafford. That could have been a major uh, swing in that game. Had the Rams taken the lead there instead, Jesse gets the turnover. Uh, He sparks the great Vernon Hargraves uh, celebration that honestly should be celebrated more than it is because it's just downright hilarious. Uh, And it costs the Bengals absolutely nothing. Uh, But you know, those two plays show you how good Jesse can be. And it was interesting. I was going back through the quotes uh, that, that Jesse had said this offseason. He hasn't really talked a lot publicly. He did one interview with NFL Network, though. Uh, if you go back and look at it, and I can actually pull it up and, and, and kind of stall while we're doing this. Uh, and it basically hinted at a lot of the things that have come to pass. And and I there was a quote last year I want to say. I, I don't want to say it on full authority because – I, I can't remember exactly what it was, but I felt like when Jesse said it, I felt like you knew that this year around it was going to be a little bit different, you know, and, and he was asked, asked specifically about playing on the tag. And he, in, in this interview with NFL Network back in February, and I'm looking at the quotes now, and he never said explicitly he was going to play on it, which I found fascinating at the time. But I kind of said, oh, it's a little early. We'll wait and see. And he said, that's a conversation that I think we'll have with my agency and my team. And then he and he talked about like AJ Green talked about before he got tagged. He says, "Oh, I you know I'd rather not be on the tag. You know, it's something we need to talk about with the players' association because that's something that the the league and the players bargain for. So even though the players don't like it, the union still has it in there as a concession to the league." And he said, it, "What I found interesting though, he said some some of the top guys get hurt under a franchise tag. It's tough. You only get one shot at this. You got to play your cards right. I guess you could say." And I found that very interesting yeah. and that he was saying, okay, if I'm going to get tagged, the, the Bengals have played their hand, so to speak. And if I'm Jesse, I only have so much leverage left. 
And I think that he wants to try to make it to, you know, do everything possible to say, okay, well, let me get my deal. And if I'm not going to get my deal, let me at least play all the cards that I have. And he hasn't signed the tender. He technically doesn't have, and he has until like mid-November to sign the tender if he wants to play the season. So theoretically, if he wanted to be a part of a Bengals playoff run, which I'm sure they would like to have him, and he's going to be in good shape, he theoretically could, could not sign his tender all the way up until, I believe, November 15th. And at that point, if he doesn't sign on that the Tuesday after week 10, then he's ineligible to play this season. However, he could sign it that day in November, November 1st, no, no, whatever November day before that date, and he'd still be eligible to play if I'm reading the CBA correctly. So if not, somebody please come find me in my mentions at Ben <laughs> underscore baby because uh, it wouldn't be the first time I'm wrong. But I believe I'm reading that correctly. And so I, I think that, you know, I don't know if it's going to play out that long. I think it would be in Jesse's best interest to play for a majority of the season. Maybe not. Maybe if he wants to skip training camp and show up for week one, I think Jesse's a player. You feel pretty good about that, to be quite honest. It may take a little bit of time to get acclimated, but he's good enough to where he could he could get away with that. But, yeah, I think this has kind of been inevitable when you've read through the you know the tea leaves, read between the lines, that it was going to play out similar to way, the way it did. And one point on that that I want to make is – well, it's not really a point. It's a question I want to ask because I don't know. I don't know how I feel about this. But do you believe that this contract situation has any impact whatsoever on the culture of the team that Zach Taylor has worked so hard to build up? Because there are lots of players speaking out in favor of him getting his money. I know in the end it's a business, and this is you know, like you said, it's in the CBA. The franchise tag isn't new. We know what it is. But do you think there is a scenario out there where this either? I mean, on one hand, it could impact the current team and the team chemistry that there is there currently, or maybe impacts future free agent signings that have kind of seen this play out more publicly than, you know, some of those other guys that have like walked, it hasn't been as big of a deal. I don't think, but this Jesse Bates one is sort of picking up a little bit more national headlines. Do you think it has an impact on either one of those things, team chemistry now or future free agent signings? I don't think there's going to be a lot of, I don't think it's really going to affect either to be quite honest with you. And when you, when you look at it, from a culture standpoint, I think all the guys have said, yeah, we want Jesse to get his money, but nobody's really upset at him for doing what he's done because they understand what he's meant to the team. And, and Burrow actually had a pretty good point when he talked about it last. He said, yeah, Jesse's been here on some bad teams, you know, and finally he was here on a good team. And I think Burrow understands as someone who was about to cash in, he understands what it's like to be uh, cashing in. And so I, I think that that's going to be how this goes. And, and I, I don't think there's a lot of animosity within that locker room. We'll find out as we start training camp, but what we've heard from guys, they're not upset about what Jesse's had to do. And I don't think it's going to affect future free agents because at the end of the day, there, the culture is going to be, if the culture is built the way it should be, it'll be this way next year. When a lot of people don't expect Jesse Bates to be back, you know, the, you know, you expect the franchise to continue to be aggressive in the free agency market. So I think that's what's going to be uh, that's what's going to be the factors moving forward, no matter how this Jesse Bates thing plays out. And wouldn't you know that as you are talking, the Bengals are tweeting out um, the new helmets. So the, that's now official. I don't know if you've taken a look yeah. at them or maybe you already had the inside information. Uh, pretty no, pretty they, clean helmet. Pretty clean helmet there. They are. Yeah, I'm actually tweeting it out now. So hold on, give me a second. No, you're good. I I, I actually am a fan of having that. Uh, I know a lot of people like Leaping Tiger. I like Leaping Tiger too. But I think the Block B with the Bengal stripes on the front is a nice contrast there with the black and white. But man, that's a that's a pretty nice helmet. Even you've seen like all the mock-ups. This isn't necessarily 
that much different from mock-ups but to actually i think it's like to now see it it's like wow that's a nice helmet i think and it, i think it goes well because of how much pop is in their orange mm-hmm. um and i think that that's kind of and with the orange and black and then you have white and black in the helmet and the, it's a very clean look uh i think the orange and white actually is is really nice like oklahoma state does a really good um you know look on that i think I wouldn't say that the Tampa Bay Bucks. I don't know if their creamsicle has. I don't can't remember how much white uh, is in it, but I feel like there is. Uh, but I find that to be a good look. Like if you do it right, it looks really good. And yeah, looking at looking at the helmets now, um, I'm not sure how much of this you're going to throw in the pod, but no, I, I think it's a a very solid look. And I, you know, it's been teased a lot over the last you know couple weeks and months, and as they try to build some hype, but it's a, it's a good look. And I'm curious to see when they're going to wear it. That's the one thing they haven't announced yet as to what games they're going to wear it with and kind of what the rest of the, you know, the rest of the uniform is going to look like. So yeah. we'll see. I would also love to see an alternate at some point, throwback alternate. I think that's a lot of fun. I think that's cool when teams do that. I think the giants one that they just released, that's going to be sick when mm-hmm. they wear that. So, and the you know, Cowboys maybe just future, did theirs with like their helmet with the single star on it, which yeah, that's I've always loved that look. Growing up a Cowboys fan, mm-hmm. I always loved when they had their 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 like road unis of the '90s were also just incredibly clean. Uh, so I, I think those are a blast. But yeah, they when they wear those alternate the the uh, throwbacks, they're they're always a lot of fun. So we'll see. I think that it's always a good nod to history in the franchise too, and that's something the Bengals have been doing a lot of lately as well. Man, that's man. I just keep looking at this helmet. That's a nice helmet. Uh, all right, I want to get into some training camp talk with you. Uh, and I mentioned earlier we're going to focus on the defensive side of the ball. Did a similar exercise on the last episode with uh, Paul Danner Jr. So if you missed that, go check it out. We've, we focus mainly on the offensive side of the ball in that episode. And today, Ben is going to be bringing the heat on the defensive side. And I want to get started with uh, maybe one. I mean, I think when you look at the left guard, that's like the biggest position battle. But on the defensive side, if you want to say maybe there is a position battle to be had. Um, it could, you know, you could look at cornerback too. And is it Cam Taylor Britt? Is it Eli Apple? And I think uh, the foregone conclusion is Eli Apple is going to be, you know, the mainstay there at least to start the season. Do you think there is any chance though, that through training camp, Cam Taylor Britt shows something or enough that says, all right, this guy needs to be our starter. Or is this, I mean, this is the Eli Apple show until further notice. I would think it, it would be really hard for me to see Apple getting supplanted in camp. I think that's been a, a sexy, like sneaker, uh, not sneaker, a, a sexy sleeper pick for a camp battle. Like you said, everyone's talking about Cordell Volson versus Jackson Carmen, which I actually think given what we saw out of OTAs, that may not be much of a battle either. I think Jackson may have a very strong inside track on that spot. And I think Eli similar, similarly, I cannot speak this morning. I cannot believe this. Similarly. <laughs> Similarly, yes, there we go. Gosh, I'm just taking a whole bunch of hours on this podcast this morning. Uh, similarly, I think that Eli also has a pretty good lead. I think when you look at how much support he's gotten throughout the end of last season and in the beginning of this season, there hasn't been an indication that there is going to be a lot of looks from Luana Rumo to replace Eli. I think he wants to give Eli a lot of confidence. And I think Eli probably operates at his best level when he's operating from a place of confidence. Uh, when you look at kind of the situations he's been mm-hmm. in previously in his career, I think that he's got a lot of support. The The team knows what he can do. Um, and, and they feel like he can be a serviceable starting corner. And that's never been in question throughout this offseason, even after they drafted Cam Taylor Britt. I think when you look at the way that, you know, the where he was drafted, you look at Eli's contract situation, everything points to Cam potentially being the starter next mm-hmm. year 
or maybe even slot if you if say Eli doesn't play well, then maybe you throw you know Cam in. But by and large, I would expect uh, Eli kind of to be opposite Chidabe this year, and and I think that it's a combination that worked to an extent last year. I know Eli gets roasted a lot, but I think Eli also brings it upon himself. Yeah. If he didn't tweet as much. Would he be getting as much flack? I don't think he would, but he, he I think enjoys Eli the villain enjoys role. It. I think. He, no, he, <laughs> I talked to him about it. He loves it, um, and you know, I, and it's funny. I, I was talking to him after OTAs. Uh, we were walking back together in the locker room. I said, "Oh, how'd you?" I said, "It felt like a pretty good day out there for you." He goes, "Oh no, I dropped a pick," and he, you know, and he's like, he was as hard as himself on anybody. So I think as a as a you want that kind of player on your team, and it shows kind of. I think Eli deserves a lot of credit because a lot of guys in his situation might have folded especially when your own teammates call you a cancer in the locker room in your first, in your first spot. And you've got to, you know, fight through that. Um, you know, I think he's done a, a pretty good job to, to stay in the NFL and, and be a, a serviceable starter for a defense that quite frankly was the reason the Bengals were playing for a Super Bowl. Yeah. And I was going to save this point for later, but it feels like a logical segue here. Do you think there is any, what is your level of concern, I guess, with potential regression with, a guy like Eli Apple, or even dare I say, because nobody else is, you know, really mentioning it. Like there's, I think, a, a chance that Awuja regresses a little bit. If you look at kind of what his career was, he was like solid, and then last year it seemed like he was borderline lockdown for like what we needed, and some of that could be scheme, and he's he's in a place where he's comfortable and he's playing really well, or you know, could be one hit wonder sort of thing. Do you think there's any concern with either of those two cornerbacks saying, okay, you look at their seasons from last year, and then you look at the rest of their careers and say, wow, that those were like they both played the, their best season pretty much of their careers. Yeah, you know, that's, that's when you when you put it in that context, I think that always should be a little bit of a concern. Uh, I think that Awuzie and Eli have shown the traits and the skills that that should lead them to be continue to be successful. I think Luana Rumo deserves a ton of credit Absolutely. for a guy who was kind of under the gun after these first couple of seasons, what he was able to do last year was pretty significant. And when you talk about regression though, I would argue that I think that's a big question for the entire defense. Cause when you look at it, and I know this probably is going to be a little unpopular for folks to hear, but when you look at it, they were very much a defense predicated on third down stops and turnover. Now, granted mm -hmm. Lou has actually had a very high third down stoppage rate uh, and red zone really actually it's the red zone rate has been pretty solid for him. If I'm not mistaken, the third down rate may be a little bit, you know, in the middle of the ballpark uh, in terms of the rest of the NFL, but the, the, his teams have historically done a good job in Cincinnati of locking down in the red zone. And Lou will always give up a ton of yards as long as you can get off the field and force a team to a field goal. That's what he cares about the most. I mean, I'm going back right now and, and rewatching the postseason as we get ready for training camp. And, you know, that, that first drive against, uh, Las Vegas in the, in the wildcard game is a prime example. You know, the Raiders get down there, they start sniffing around the 30, all of a sudden they have a penalty and then they can't seem to get the, the yards they need to extend the drive. And it's a field goal up until that point, they were, the defense was getting diced mm -hmm. all the way down the field. They look like they had no answers. Then as soon as they get around that 30 yard line, they hold, but you know, in the postseason, what they really did a good job of was getting opportune turnovers and, and getting them at the right time. But if and if the, the, it's a big risk reward because if you don't get those, your defense isn't nearly as successful. And so for the Bengals to continue to be performing at the level they were last year defensively, they have to continue to get those turnovers or get teams off the field quicker, get them get more stops on third downs. If you're not able to get one of those two things, you know this could be a, a, a year where you see a lot of regression. 
And that may be okay if the offense plays really well. And that's the other component of this. I think a lot of this is also depends on can the offense take the, the step forward that it needs to. But I, I think that I'm not as concerned about specific regression for Awuzier and Apple as I am overall about that defense, especially when you look at how they played and the numbers from last year. Yeah, as a fan, it can get a little stressful when you have a bend-don't-break defense because you're watching them bend and bend and you're waiting for an avalanche of points. And uh, somehow, somehow, like you said, they get out of these drives only giving up field goals when they get gashed for 60 yards on the first six plays of a drive. And then all of a sudden it's, no, we'll lock in now and hold them to a field goal. Uh, I want to go back to the safety position a little bit. And it's kind of a loaded question, uh, but there's a good follow-up to here. Do you, How important do you think this training camp is for a guy like Daxton Hill as it relates to getting experience? We assume Jesse Bates isn't going to be there. We assume Daxton Hill will be running with the ones. How important that is, but then also secondarily, do you think Tyson Anderson gets much play there as far as it is with getting a serious look with the ones? I mean, I don't know if the Bengals at this point are expecting – hey, Jesse's going to be here eventually, or would they have to move forward saying there's a chance he doesn't play this year? Uh, but we now have two safeties to consider. Yeah, I think that if you're wanting Dax to be the long-term guy anyways, whether you want him, it's probably not a bad thing to get him up to speed as quickly as possible and get him slotted in there and have him, you know, play in that free safety role, you know, I think will will help him out a lot. Uh, so, I but Tyson Anderson you know, that may be a little bit of a stretch, you know, where, you know, in terms of where you put them, maybe in some dime packages, like what they would do with Dax. If Jesse, let's say Jesse never shows up, then maybe you have Tyson come in on some dime packages and they use that speed accordingly. I believe his, his like Madden rating on speed, I believe was one of the best of any safety. Oh, don't get I'm started on the Madden rating, Madden rating. Yeah. But I think they, I think they gave him a lot of love yeah. in terms of how fast he is. So I, and they got a lot of speed. I remember I talking to a veteran, in OTAs and, and he was saying, yeah, look at the speed on, you know, that we have with these young guys coming in. Like it's going to be a lot of fun uh, to be back there. And I think that will help them out a lot, but you know, I think with Dax getting him in the rotation early, you know, having him acclimate quickly, there probably will be some growing pains if he does have to start week one. Uh, like I said, though, you know, I think right now I would be still be, it'd be some very surprising knowing Jesse that if he doesn't play week one, I would be, I would be surprised at that, but let's say that, you know, they have to go and, and roll Dax out there, as a starter, I think he's probably capable of doing that to a certain degree. You know, we'll see how much that affects the defense. And they play a lot of quarters anyway, so you're not playing as much as you can play single high. They play a lot of basically cover four and, and where you're having, you know, the defenders take a quarter of the field in zone, which should help Dax out a little bit as well. It kind of narrows your assignments to a certain degree. So I would, uh, you know, I, I, Tyson probably will need some time to get in there. I just don't see a role for him explicitly when you're looking at, the, uh, the starting 11, but, you know, over time, that's definitely someone that you're going to want to try to see where he can fit, especially when you look at, you know, where they're at with their safety tandem of Von Bell and Jesse Bates. Now, this is a, a time for you to give a prediction, so I won't hold you to any of these predictions you're making, uh, but who is one defensive player that you think will be the most impressive throughout camp? A guy that either could be a proven guy that gets even better or someone that we don't know much about, but at, at the end of camp, everyone is wowing and saying, did you see this dude on defense? That's a good question. I, I wonder if it isn't Cam Sample mm. to a degree. I think he actually had a, a pretty solid year to an extent. Didn't get a ton of reps. And I think as he continues to kind of get acclimated to things, I think he could be someone who plays pretty well. If I'm not mistaken, I think he was repping with the ones at, in OTAs with uh, Joseph Osai Hurt and with 
Um, uh, Trey Hendrickson not there as well. And I thought that was interesting because, you know, Khalid Kareem's still available. And so for his sample to get those snaps, I thought was was pretty useful. And so we'll see if, you know, where he's at and if he can develop. They will need those edge rushers to, to kind of be a lot better. I think that, you know, you can't be relying on Trey Hendrickson and, and Sam Hubbard to a lesser degree, bring all the pressures. I think, you know, when you talk about, you know, the potential regression for Wuzier and Apple, I think a lot of that's going to be dependent on can your pass rush continue to get home? Can you continue to, to be really good up front or just be good enough up front? So I, I think all of that works in tandem. And, and defense is such an interesting thing because it's all so interconnected. And if one unit is really bad, it's really hard for the entire unit to play well. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, I think a lot of people knocked Jesse Bates um, early on. I remember at one point in 2019, I remember we had an assignment at ESPN and wondering why uh, certain players were they had the lowest PFF rating. And Jesse Bates had the worst PFF rating, I think, at one point during the 2019 season, which I found comical because I knew for a fact, like, that wasn't on Jesse. It was because the entire <laughs> yeah. defense was atrocious. Yeah. Like, Jesse Jesse was basically the, please don't let this all, you know, go to hell in a handbasket. Can you please kind of be the, the absolute safety valve on this defense? And sometimes that came back to bite him, you know, in how his play looked. But it was a completely different story because without Jesse, I don't want to know what that defense would have looked like <laughs> in 2019. It would have looked absolutely brutal. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that's really an interesting component. But, you know, I wonder if Cam Sample isn't a guy that comes out and plays pretty well. Uh, and, you know, Joseph Osai, I know he's been a guy who's gotten a lot of hype. We'll see how he looks in camp. You know, I, he's a guy who is still – he was pretty raw when he came out of Texas, you know, playing that that five technique. I think it was pretty new to him, if I'm not mistaken. So we'll see how he continues to mature and develop. But, you know, these young edge rushers are going to be – a lot of fun to watch. I, I believe the the Gunther kid uh, that they got, he was incredibly long, uh, and I found him to be it's a really interesting. So you know those edges will be a lot of fun to watch in those in those camp battles. Yeah, I think uh, you mentioned the importance of a pass rush, and Trey Hendrickson was dominant at times last year, but there were also any game where he wasn't dominant. Uh, it showed up. It showed up a lot because we weren't getting home, and we have no shortage of between Sample, Kareem, and Osai, who everybody is uh, expecting to break the sack record this year. Um, you know, we've got no shortage of young guys that could fill into that spot, even Gunter maybe. But it's like we we just need one of those guys at least to show up to provide an extra pass rusher that can rotate in there and uh, generate some pressure. Uh, a last a last section here as it relates to training camp. I did this with Paul as well. It's it's kind of like a crystal ball section here. So you get to uh, uh, gaze into your crystal ball here and tell me what bold training camp headline or development could you see yourself covering on the defensive side that fans will inevitably overreact to. It doesn't have to be bold, I guess, but it could be something that you could anticipate defensively. I could see us having these observations, and fans are going to go crazy over it. <laughs> That's a good question. It always seems to happen at some point in time. Um, I could see the cornerbacks getting a little bit of heat this offseason in camp mm-hmm. if the if the wide receivers look really good, uh, which you would want them to, sure. to be quite honest. I can see there being a lot of question marks saying, oh, well, you know, how does our secondary look? Are we going to be in good shape? Because that's really the only unit that you can really evaluate extensively at camp. It's really hard to tell right. how the lines look uh, without really overreacting. The linebackers in the same boat because – you don't see a lot of, I think for those units, you really need a lot of 11 on 11 drills and you don't get a ton of those in camp, but you do get a good amount of one-on-one drills between wide receivers and quarterbacks. So I could see there being a scenario where the corners don't look great 
and people start, you know, going crazy. And, you know, I think last camp showed us that there will be, you know, the, the, especially at the beginning, there's going to maybe take guys are going to try to find their way and work through the motions before they were able to get right. Like Burrow didn't look great. Obviously at the beginning of camp, right. he ended up, he really didn't look great early on. And it kind of took him several weeks for him to get his kind of knee under him for him to look really good. Um, and for him to kind of figure out where his arm strength was, you really start to see all that difference. You know, the Jamar Chase drops thing, like that was an, that was a natural thing. Like he was dropping them in our presence and we were noting them. And then when the season started, he, he learned, he stopped dropping them. But uh, you know, that was something that, you know, he kind of had to figure out as well. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't be shocked either if Jamar Chase dropped a couple as well in practices. And, you know, he had like a stone cold drop during OTAs. And I was just like, well, maybe he's just like a guy who just drops one or two every practice. And that's just kind of yeah. how it goes. And games, he may turn it on. But in practice, that just may be a thing because there was a drop where I said, oh, that was pretty. That was a very much a 2021 Jamar Chase camp drop. And it happened again. But, you know, he showed that in games, it doesn't really matter. So I think that could be interesting, you know, and something that we overreact to. And honestly, though, from a, from a writer's perspective, those are actually fun because they make, you know, it's not, it's a very inconsequential storyline, but it kind of moves a needle and it makes your camp to be at least somewhat interesting because during training camp, that's kind of what you're looking for little things like that to say, okay, what do people care about? And what are some things that could be important when the season roll around? So, you know, that'll be something to watch and, you know, it'll, it'll may help us pass the time as we get ready for week one. Yeah, it's an interesting, uh, like, situation you guys find yourselves in covering the team. And Paul mentioned it a little bit as, to like, your job is to observe things and you just kind of write what you're observing. And uh, you can't necessarily control how that gets taken by other national media outlets as it relates to Jamar Chase's drops last year or fans overreacting to things. It's And, and, the, and Paul's point was, like, it, you know, it's way too early to tell anything, right? It's their they're like glorified practices here. It's training camp. They're not even and and we just observe things as like, okay, Jamar's dropping the ball, just an observation, or Joe doesn't look comfortable, just an observation. And they can take on a life of their own. Uh, it's still your job to report it, but you have necessarily no idea how it's going to take off or if it's going to take off uh, with a, you know, a life of its own. But uh, so I commend you, I commend you. And I don't know if I envy you as it relates to that. I'm going to get you out of here with some quick hitters. So these are, uh, you know, you can give one, two word answers. You can give whole paragraph answers. Doesn't matter to me. Uh, but don't, you know, don't feel like you have to go into too much detail if you don't want to. The first one is how many sacks does Joseph Asai have this year? Eight and a half. <laughs> I like it. What date does Jesse sign his franchise tender or date range? Oh, I'm going to go whenever, like the last of uh, the week before the season starts. I'm with you on that one. Uh, this one you might have already gotten into. Combined game started by Cam Taylor Britt plus Daxton Hill. Four. All right. Uh, Bengals win total. And, and and I'll say Paul did not want to give his official prediction in July. So if you just want to give a range uh, or an over no. under, and you know, you're not going to be held to this at all. I'm here for the takes. All right. Let's uh, get it. Not to, I'm, I'm, I like to put to. It's fine with me. All right, let me do this right now because I was I was going through it. This will be the first time I give a ballpark prediction. Now, granted, I will say I'm going to do this in about 10 seconds okay. uh, or 30 seconds, but we'll go through here. Um, I was actually looking at the, the start of their schedule. I think that actually shapes up pretty well. There's a good chance. I mean, theoretically, they should be 4-0 going into that Baltimore game. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and it's crazy thinking about this team a year ago. Last year, I think I had them at like 7-10 and because I just had little faith that they were going to be able to get over the hump. And granted, they did go 10-7, and 7, 
Uh, 10 and 6 if you take out the, the right. nonsense game against Cleveland at the end. Uh, but like looking at their losses, that might be easier, who they might lose to. I think they'd probably split one of the Cleveland games because they, that's a team they don't do well. They probably split a Baltimore game. I wonder if Tampa doesn't get them at the end of the year. Buffalo, I think, will get them. Buffalo is going to be really good. Um, I might give them. I might give them Kansas City at home in December. That that'll go really well. And then they're going to lose a game they're probably not supposed to lose, like in Atlanta or who knows what. Like there's going to be Tennessee, New York, Jets one of these style. games. Where you're just like, oh, y'all should win on paper, but they yeah. obviously don't. Like they had a couple last year, so I think that's about five or six. So I will go eleven and six. I feel like that's going to be, but I think that should be plenty to win the North because the North is not good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, I, I've been going eleven and six because I am uh, very risk averse. But I I look at it and I want to say, oh, this is a this is a twelve and five team potentially thirteen and fourteen, which they obviously could be. You mentioned games lose one that they shouldn't. Maybe they don't lose any that they shouldn't. Or right. you know, we're assuming they'll split with you know Baltimore. Maybe they sweep Baltimore. It's a it's a fluid situation, of course, and it's just a ridiculous exercise to guess the schedule <laughs> uh this early in advance, but it's fun. Uh I think regardless though, they're they're the AFC champs or AFC I should say, at least AFC North champs. Uh this one's another one for you and uh probably won't won't require as much thought. Your perfect game time temperature. Uh, it doesn't matter to me cause I'm in the press box. <laughs> That's, true. That's true. But I will, but I will take it. But the walk from the parking garage to the press box, I will say I would probably 65 degrees. I did see you. Uh, I did see you on the field at Arrowhead though, in the playoffs. Yes, I did see was, you on the was, field. Yeah, that's right. You did. That's right. We, we were down there. And so when you're loitering on the, on the field, you would like it to be a reasonable temperature. So I know you, is for those that don't follow Ben on Twitter, he uh, does not enjoy the cooler weather and uh, has been memed on that a few times. So hence the question, if someone's like, why are you asking him what temperature he prefers? Uh, I know he's not a cold weather guy, Texas. Uh, wait, you're um, uh, North Texas. Yeah. I went to okay, North okay, Texas. I yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. 65, 65, I think is the, is the perfect range. That's, that's like, uh, that's probably like, late October for us here. All right. The last one here, your ideal new stadium slash field name. Oh, that is a good question. What would we want the state? I I feel like you got to pick something like off the wall. That wouldn't be like ideal. I don't know. It's a a good one. While while you're thinking, I, I, you know, I saw a lot of people when the news came out that they were going to sell their naming rights saying, you know, Procter and Gamble field or Procter and Gamble stadium, Paul Brown, like whatever you want to keep Paul Brown in there, whether it's Paul Brown field at Procter and Gamble stadium, whatever. Um, and then someone made the comment, well, you know, PNG already has Gillette field uh, or Gillette stadium, excuse me, in new England. I'm thinking if you're going to go with PNG products, I don't think the NFL would prefer it, but just go with bounty bounty stadium. <laughs> and I'm thinking after the new Orleans thing, that might not go well. Uh, I don't think that would be great. I'm trying to think of a good, like what franchise theoretically could pony up the money. Fabrice Field. Oh, like, is there, sorry, I just dropped a plate over here. I, 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 I was just fiddling. I'm fiddling with it, trying to figure out what, what to do. Uh, what what would be a good name? I, I don't, like everyone has said Skyline Stadium. Obviously that would be in uh, opposition of their yeah. contract with Gold Star. I'm going to be quite honest and people can flame me for this. I don't think skyline is worthy enough to be named, get naming rights for a stadium. I agree. Uh, I, so, I mean, that's, and I'm, I'm, I'm like a, a lifer, like I'm a local lifer here. 
uh, and I also am. I, I really enjoy Skyline. I'm not obsessive about it as much as others. But can I can I explain my? So I have to explain this properly yes, so locals don't get angry. So the, my problem. I've only eaten the Skyline three way once. I'm going to be quite quite very transparent here. I've not eaten it since. I I do get the conies. Like sometimes when it'll get cold, I'm like I'll take a coney. That'll be fine. Especially when they're running like that, like they like the andouille sausage or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like I was like, yeah, I'll do that. Uh, that's fine. And here's the reasoning. Skyline's chili and just like Gold Star, it's still too watery. And the problem is, is when you put it on noodles, noodles are water-based as well. And so they're already maximized how much water they can retain. <laughs> so therefore, when you put watery chili on the noodles, it doesn't go well. So it just it's it's way too fluid of a situation of a, like a meal situation. Like you can't you eat it on the definitely need go. a straw like, at the end. Yeah, and I'm like, this is not a tight. This is not a meal I find enjoyable. That's why when people make meat sauce at an Italian restaurant, the meat sauce is very thick. Otherwise, it is not gonna, like you don't want my, watery meat sauce on your pasta. Like if I got that anywhere, I'd be like, please send this back. I'm not getting this. I'm not eating this. However, I will take it on a coney, it is fine because you have a bun. The bun is a perfect vehicle to soak it up. And as a native Texan, (laughs) we do chili cheese dogs all the time. So a coney is very much in my range. So your ideal chili is like a lot, a lot chunkier, a lot meatier. Like what's in your ideal chili? Uh, See, I could get flamed for this because in Texas, very much a beans or no beans situation. Like that is a very controversial subject. I don't really have a big like I, I guess you i don't care either way like if it's like just meat and beans i just want it to be thick enough to where like you could put it on a, like a like i don't know if y'all have the concept of frito pies up here if you know uh, what that is, that is like in the bag yeah see people do it in like they're now in a bag but yeah. you're like if you go cover like a high school game like what you'll do you'll run down at halftime you'll get just dump and dump uh, uh dump a ton of fritos into like a tray Throw some chili on there. Throw some like queso, like you know, some like stadium queso, and you call it a day. Like it is a perfect like a Friday night football food. Uh, and so your chili needs to be, I think, good enough to where you could dip it with chips. That's my that is my level of, of chili, and also have a little bit of spice to it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I it's going to be hard to argue with you about the watery with the Skyline uh, and even Gold Star. Skyline's even more watery though than Gold Star. Which, which is interesting, you know, I try not to have big takes on this because I do not want to get uh, attacked, but the fact that Skyline is far and away considered the best over Gold Star is always interesting to me uh, because I, to me it is much, much closer than uh, the general public here in Cincinnati likes to make it out to be. Just, I think for I, I me, think, the, the the Gold Star has does have a different taste, a little bit more cinnamon in it, in my opinion. But it's the to me, I do enjoy the thick thickerness of it, even though it is not thick. Right, I think that it really goes back to this is a, it's a really interesting. Honestly, we could have an entire podcast on this. <laughs> um, I, I think it goes to the branding, though, in the way that they've aligned themselves with the city, and I think that's kind of the key, which is why Gold Star. It was a very good business decision for them to align themselves with the Bengals, especially now, now that they're good, because it helps with their branding. And there always has been a Skyline versus Gold Star debate. Much like in Texas, there's a lot of brands in Texas that once you become associated with the state of Texas, 
then automatically you're set for life. You're always going to be making money. It doesn't matter if your product is good or bad, like you're always going to be there because we're so fiercely loyal to the state of Texas that if we're like, oh, that's a Texas brand, we're going to rep for it. Like Whataburger will do that. Like Bluebell, like people give Bluebell way too much love. Bluebell is not like, does not deserve that love. Like I love Texas stuff. Bluebell does not match the quality. It also kind of killed some people like, recently. <laughs> so, you know, there's that too. But Casually, like, yeah. I'll take Graders. I'll take UDF any day over the week over Bluebell. I'll take Brahms over Bluebell uh, from Zach Taylor's homeland in Oklahoma. But yeah, I think that Skyline has done a really good job over the years of basically aligning themselves with Cincinnati. And so you feel like you're not a true Cincinnatian if you're not eating skyline like they've also they've almost made it a point to where they're they're challenging your localness to a degree yes. if you're not eating there and gold star has had to fight back in that way and then you have like camp washington's and all the other locals that are trying to kind of fight in and say we're actually a lot better let's be honest we're just not uh you know as mass produced but i think that the, the branding has become so important and that's that's key for any product so uh you know that's a really fascinating dichotomy but um, but yeah, that's a, like I said, we could talk about, this I had no, time. I had no idea when we hit record on this, that this would turn into first a food, go into the food podcast, but then into a business and entrepreneurial podcast as well. Uh, and that's the beauty of having such a bright mind on here and yourself, Ben, thank you so much for joining me. Appreciate your time. Uh, of course you do an outstanding job covering the Bengals for ESPN. And I think this, the city is lucky to have you. Uh, I have not lived in any other city, so I can't speak to every other city's beat writers, but uh, love having you on board and having you cover this team. So thank you again and best of luck this season. Yeah. Thanks Taylor. It's been a, it's been a blast and a, no, like I've, I've really enjoyed Cincinnati. It's been a lot of fun when I made the decision to, to, to resign my deal. It was a, it was a no brainer. So uh, I'm excited. I think this is going to be a, a fun team to cover and, and, you know, we'll see if this team can continue to be a Super Bowl contender for years to come. And, and if they are, you know, they could definitely be a, a national darling and a team that a, a lot of people find themselves rooting for. Yeah. Fun job that you have getting to cover them. <laughs> I'm sure it's more fun covering a winning team than a losing team. Yeah, uh, for sure. Thanks so much. Sam. I appreciate you, you having going. me on again. That was Ben baby. He can be found out on Twitter at Ben underscore baby, my fellow underscore King as I am also out there at underscore Taylor Cornell. Thank you for tuning in to another episode. Hope you enjoyed. Until next time, Bengals fans. Food day.